0: First Thessalonians. Let's do it. First Thessalonians. As we get into a Bible study this morning, and a question I have is, while they're giving out notes, if you don't have them, raise your hand. They hand it to it. Is a dumb question, but a serious question. You ever feel like a windshield wiper? There you are. You're in the spot, and the storms come, and it's just beating on you. And after a while, what happens to your windshield wiper? It starts to fray. It has to be replaced. It starts to fall apart. The rubber comes off and you have all those different problems. And sometimes we feel that way. Sometimes we feel like we've got 40, 50 inches of rain dumped in our life. And it might be simple things that come along that could be financial problems. All of a sudden you feel overwhelmed. You feel flooded by the bills. It could be that some of those problems come because of health concerns. You're waiting for a report. Your child gets sick. And all of a sudden you're concerned. Wait a minute. The doctor said that we ran into the hospital with a broken arm of a child and the doctor said that, hey, there's an irregular heartbeat. Now they need to do tests on this, on this child or this grandchild. And you have that concern and it's overwhelming. And it's just got you in limbo. Or maybe you're, you're dealing with some relatives that are really hard to get along with. They could be that they are some of these elderly relatives that are parents that you're trying to help out, but as they get older and they become a little bit more senile, they become more difficult. They're more juvenile. They're more demanding, and that just wears after a period of time. Or maybe it's a relative that isn't appreciating what you're doing, or maybe you're a parent. And you're dealing with a child who you are, you are praying, you are hoping that they don't get involved with the drugs, the drink, the alcohol, the sex that's all around and all of a sudden get into all kinds of difficulties and you're worried and concerned and then all of a sudden you find something. The bottle, the needle. And you go, oh man what do we do now? Or maybe you're an individual who's got you're back to school. And there you are and you've got to take classes and if you don't get it this time you're going to be repeating and you've got the pressures of school and to make it worse you get there and the friends that you had last year they won't have anything to do with you. And there's some rumor that's been going around school about you and about those people that now you are considered to be anathema. You're the leper of the class and there's the mockery and there's the, the, ups, the, the teasing. You go to work. You get to work, and all of a sudden there's the pressure from the boss, and it wears after a period of time. You gotta lie, you gotta cheat, you gotta, you know, just say this is happening. Tell the customer this, just you know, don't go, don't give them the truth. And after a while, it just wears, and it wears, and it wears, and you almost like that lady. Do you remember hearing about this lady this week down in down in Texas? that the newspaper reporter came to her in a shelter and here she is, a young mother with children desperately trying to get dry, to get food, to get water and the reporter comes up and sticks a microphone in the face and says, so tell us how you feel. You know, No, we, we would like to talk to you some more. And the woman exploded. Did you see that? She just launched. She couldn't contain it anymore and she's yelling. She says, why are you reporters here just after a story? We need help, not microphones. She's got a point, doesn't she? Maybe you feel that way. Maybe you're the individual who is ready to explode because of all those difficulties. Well, you're not alone. As you go through life, you're going to find, as well as you go through Scripture, that there are moments where believers come to the point where they feel frayed, they feel flooded, they feel like they're frustrated and ready to implode or explode. And it can happen to all ages, all levels of spiritual individuals, whether babies in Christ or senior saints in Christ. Mature, born again for 60 plus years. It happens. It happened to the people of Thessalonica. The believers who Paul writes to them and says, you are one of the most amazing churches that I've ministered to. You have had such a great track record. And yet there was a number of them who were ready to give up and that's when he addresses them and talks to them in chapter 4 and 5 of 1 Thessalonians. And he tells them something. You know, and talks to them and encourages them. But before you catch what he says, you have to understand their circumstances. These people in Thessalonica, they were really struggling. They had oh man, they had some they had some really bad situations going. They were individuals who suffered major losses. You see they came to faith in Christ And when they came to faith in Christ, all of a sudden, some of them lost friends. They lost family. Some family didn't want anything to do with them because they were now fanatical believers. They were following that one God and one God only. How ridiculous can you be to believe there's only one God they were all of a sudden stopping doing the things that so many of them were accustomed to doing and, and they stopped the sexual escapades, the drunken orgies and different things of that sort. And now they were trying to live a life that was different. And as a result, they lost friends. They lost family support. Some of them, because of their Christian faith, they lost their jobs. They were no longer allowed to be employed. And in a society where their jobs were limited, they were in desperate conditions. Some of them lost family members to prison, to being chained, to being persecuted, and as a result, some lost family members to death. They were living in a time period that was really, really a difficult time period. It was the rise of kings and emperors like Nero, who were opposed to the sect of Christianity, and they wanted to put it down by increasing the persecution by making it illegal to gather like we are right now. So officers and soldiers would come in, gather us up if we were living in that time, take us to the the prisons, the jails, and we would suffer beatings. One of the ways that oftentimes they could get people to deny their faith was take the children. Can you imagine a society where they take the children, dismember your children before your eyes so you give up your faith? They would take them out like the Neros and others, and they would, they would torture these people, put them in arenas, make them part of the theatrical games, put out into the midst of the arena, a bunch of believers half-bound or, or without weapons, and then loose the roaring lions upon them. Or dip them in oil, tie them to a post, and let them be the bonfire for the display. These people were living in some horrible times. Societies that were very oriented of this at this time very oriented to self-satisfaction drunkenness orgies were the were the norm materialism and greed was overcoming the entire world at that time standards had fallen to the point that anything was going all kinds of 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 different types of se- sexual perverseness and and all types of entertainment and it was it was a horrible society given to just self-indulgence. Does it sound familiar? Does it ring a bell? That some of these same things are happening today. Now God, in response to those Thessalonians, talks to them and he gives them these words, comfort one another. In fact, twice in this text. You read it at the end of chapter 4 where he writes in verse 18 wherefore comfort one another with these words. You read it again in chapter 5 if you jump down a little bit to verse 11. Wherefore comfort yourselves together. The wherefore ties the comforting to a previous paragraph. With what you have just learned now comfort one another. Now encourage one another. Here's the bottom line. The same pressures they faced are some of the same pressures we face today. We have the same enemy they did, the spiritual enemy who is using the same tools, the same devices as he did back then. And so with that in mind, the same command applies to us today. We need to comfort one another. We need to come beside one another and give words of hope and help and encouragement when individuals are facing those times, those floods in their life, those times when they feel like they are wiped out like the wiper. Now the question I have is, what do we say? What exactly is it that God has Paul record that says, wherefore with these words comfort one another? What words? What do we say to the person who just gets the medical report of cancer? What do we say to the person who has just lost a loved one? Or several of you are on the anniversary of that loss during these last few weeks. What do we say to the individual who has just lost their job, lost their best friend? What do we say? What words do we comfort? There's a couple given in this text. There's a word of comfort that comes by reminding them of the promises that God has made, especially one promise that's in this particular text. And it's words that we need to talk a little bit more about than what we normally do. We need to keep in our own minds more than we normally do because it's our help, it's our hope that will carry us through all the hard times. Now I want to look at that one promise, in particular in chapter 4, but before I do that I want to back up to a major promise that is critical for us to keep in mind. There's a promise out of the book of Romans that says this that is probably the foundational promise for handling any trial and trouble that we face. It comes out of Romans chapter 8 verse 28 says, we know that all things work together for good to them that love God, to them who are called according to His purpose. This one verse is so critical, it is like getting the right lenses to see what's going on. Now some of you have had this experience that I've had, that you need glasses, and without glasses you can't see clearly a whole lot. That used to be I couldn't see you know, objects within five feet. And they would usually just say, okay, you've got maybe four fingers at five feet type thing. But then I got the eye surgery and it corrected it and I could see, but the problem is seeing things now, close up. It is better. The problem is my arm's not long enough. <laughs> Any of you have that problem? And then you get the bifocals. And then you're going like this all the time with the bifocals, trying to get it at the right angle. But once we get it at the right angle, we see clearly. You and I are the individuals as we go through life that it's very easy that our bl- vision gets blurred. We don't see the trials correctly. We don't see the purposes correctly. And sometimes we need to get the bifocals, the glasses of God's word put upon us so we can see and make sense of what's going on around us. And remember that all things work together for good. Pastor Tony does a game with the kids uh, periodically. He takes pictures around the building. He takes a picture of something really, really close up. And he says, what is it? It it goes like this, okay? It's something in this room. It's a close-up picture of something in this room. Figure it out? It's air vents, yeah. You back up, you see it a whole lot clearer. They need cleaning, okay. (laughs) What is it? Yeah, you got it. If you back up, it's really clear. It's the code hook, okay? What is it? Oh Okay, make, let's make it really clear. It's the fire extinguisher. Isn't it amazing that sometimes when you get close it doesn't make sense? Got I know it's a screw. Identify where it's at. Oh, you guys have walked by this a lot. It's in the foyer. Right there. Makes perfect sense what it is, okay? You guys, have, you guys have, a lot of you have touched this already today. Not the front doors. <laughs> it's the hand sanitizer. It's that little mirror on the front. <laughs> Boy, it makes perfect sense when you back up and see it. What is it? Oh, it's as clear as can be, folk. You can't get it? I'll help you out. (laughs) I didn't get it either. Okay. It is not the cooties on the carpet. Okay. It's lunch. (laughs) It's that picture right there. Isn't it amazing when we get real close, we can't see things clearly, but when we back up, it makes sense? Isn't that the way it is oftentimes with the difficulties we go through? That we're so close to it, it doesn't make real sense. And yet the promise says that those things that happen to us, we call them bad things, aren't always evil. In fact, they can be very beneficial for us. They are very helpful. We've got to keep this promise in mind, that God isn't doing us evil, God is doing us good in our lives. Any of you ever ever see this stuff, the sea glass? You familiar with it? They make different types of jewelry and stuff out of sea glass. There are some places where you find a lot of sea glass. There is one area out in California where it's like six inches deep along the beach there. And people go there and pick up the sea glass and they find all kinds of these different shapes and different things like that. What's interesting is where sea glass comes from. Obviously it has to do with the sea. It has to do with the ocean. But it typically shows up where, like in Fort Bragg over in California, that area, that for 60 years this area was the dump. They put all the trash there on this beach so that the idea was to wash it out. Well, all the bottles and all the glass that was part of the trash is being affected by the waves and by the sand and by the overturning and it becomes sea glass. The rough edges are taken away and it becomes a gem, if you would, that they start using. And they start bringing it bringing something that we would look at and say it's trash, it's garbage, but they're making something good out of it. Do you realize that in essence you and I are God's sea glass? We are broken. We are sharp. We are disposable spiritually. And then God comes in and starts working in our life. Some of those difficulties, those tides, that sand, that uncomfortable shore, all of a sudden it works on us and works on us and we change. And he's creating something good and something that can be used as a gem. Or he says in Ephesians chapter, uh, chapter 1 where he talks and says that, or chapter 2, we are his workmanship, his poema, his piece masterpiece, literary masterpiece. So I have to remember this, that all things work together for good. That's a promise I need to wor- worry about and think about. But in First Thessalonians 4, where in verse 18 he says, these words, keep this in mind, what are these words? It's First Thessalonians chapter 4, starting with verse 13, where he re- writes these words, I would not have you to be ignorant, brethren, concerning them which are asleep, that you sorrow not, even as others which have no hope. For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so them also which sleep in Jesus will God bring with him. For this we say unto you by the word of the Lord, that we which are alive and remain unto the coming of the Lord shall not prevent them which are asleep. For the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of an archangel, with the trump of God, and the dead in Christ shall rise first. Then we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. So shall we ever be with the Lord. Wherefore, comfort one another with these words. These words about a hope and an event that is coming up. I understand how these words can be comforting. While we were away, we had an instance that made it even more realistic to us. When we were away, we opted that part of our vacation was going to go and help administer where we could. We went to Alaska. Several of you are aware of that, that we ended up going to spend time with the Newtons because she's dying. She's in her last months. And we felt it was important to go, to be able to be an encouragement on behalf of this church body since there are members here, to spend a few days with them, go to the hospital with them, do a little bit of letting them share their life with us. Then from there we went to Arizona. One night we were at 48 degrees, the next we were at 107. We went to Arizona for this reason. My brother's daughter had died just a few months ago. Nobody in our family has been able to get there since that time to, to just be there, so we thought it was important we go and spend a few days with them just to be with them. So we spent a lot of time just listening as they talked about their daughter. And then we went to the cemetery. And there at the ossuary where her remains are, there's a plaque. And the plaque has Elissa's name there, her birth date, and then it has 1 Thessalonians 4, 13 through 18. This was the first time that our sister-in-law was there to see the plaque face-to-face since her daughter's died. It was important to be there And so try to be of encouragement to her as she cried and wept at the graveside. But then to talk about 1 Thessalonians 4 and the hope that we have that we can comfort one another. He talks in this text about an event, an event that provides such great hope. We call it the rapture. We get that term not because it's there in the English, it's not. Not because it's there in the Greek, it's not. The word that is used in verse 17 that we shall be caught up is the word that we put it up on the wall for you. You can read it for yourself. The word comes from, is used many times in the New Testament to talk about being captured from danger, being taken away. The husband coming and taking his bride, the idea of claiming for yourself, the idea of seizing something that needs rescue like Lot's family and bringing them away to move somebody suddenly like Philip was caught away by the spirit it has the idea of being raptured being removed being being pulled away from something it's an event that's described in this text how that this event is unfolding and it's a future event that is going to come and as it unfolds it will unfold very quickly let me see if I can describe it this way what I see from this text is that this is a real event An event where Jesus Christ is going to come from the clouds and he's going to capture away, take away, rapture, call to himself all those believers who have died and are in the graves. He's going to capture their bodies and take them to heaven physically. Then he's going to capture the rest of us who are alive and remain and take us to heaven to rescue us, to claim us as his own. It's a for sure event. It may sound Hollywood-ish. It may sound too legendary to some of you, but this is what the Word of God says. Therefore, it's real. It's a real event. It's as real as Jesus doing the miracle of walking on water, feeding the thousands, raising Lazarus from the dead. Jesus can do this. It's a real event. The event is an awesome event. It's amazing. This is an event where Jesus Christ himself will meet us in the clouds. Think of it. This isn't angelic activity. This is Jesus himself. Can you think something, anything better than seeing Jesus? We had a wedding yesterday. The groom is standing here right when I still have the X in the carpet where he was supposed to stand. He was so anxious and so nervous. This is the way he stood still, waiting for her to come down. He was enthused. Can you imagine if Jesus were coming today? Wow. Wow, you know, we were, when we were leaving for, for vacation, we flew out of Harrisburg. When we flew out of Harrisburg, all of a sudden everything was kind of delayed, and we're there, and I saw a whole bunch of people running to one of the windows, looking out there and taking pictures. So being the independent thinker that I am, I ran over there with my camera. <laughs> and I saw this plane coming in. And I'm looking and saying, I've seen that plane before. And I got, close. do you recognize it? It's Air Force One. Yeah, and it's, on the side it says... United States of America. And I'm going, wow, didn't he get my memo? I'm leaving. What's he doing? <laughs> He's in Jersey. What's he doing in Harrisburg? He's supposed to be vacationing over in Jersey someplace. And oh, the plane comes down and i mean, everybody's awe. The people who are working supposed to be loading up the luggage. They're all stopping on the tarmac and everybody's taking pictures. The plane comes down. What's he doing? He changed his mind. Oh, he got my memo. So all of a sudden, <laughs> and we're watching the plane, and the plane is going around, so everybody went from this side of the terminal to this side of the terminal, taking pictures, and it came around, and it came back down, and it took off again. And it went around, and so there's this terminal of people. (laughs) Why? It's Air Force One. I mean, most of us don't see Air Force One in Harrisburg. But we all know that, we understand that, the system works, that the pilots, when the president's at a spot, they have to rehearse. They have to practice, right? They, this is a regular routine. So this went on for probably the 45 minutes where we were waiting. They were down and taking off, you know, practicing and doing the thing. But this was just the plane. This wasn't the person. And we were enamored. Can you imagine the person of Jesus coming? How we should be enamored. What a great event. Jesus himself. And comes with authority. Not as a babe crying. But with this voice. The voice of the archangel. To trump the sound. And can you imagine? Can you imagine? There at this event. Jesus is coming from heaven. And all of a sudden. The graves are opening. All those who have died. And who are born again. They're being taken up. What an amazing event. This is phenomenal. It's an awesome event. He talks about it not only as being awesome, but a very sudden event. The sequence of events that go through as you read, they just give the impression that this is going to, boy, this is going to happen quickly. This is going to really move fast. In fact, 1 Corinthians 5 says, in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye or the tinkle of an eye, it's going to be really, really fast. Things are going to move. It's an event that is for every one of us the dead in Christ, and then we who are alive and remain, not a single believer since the time of Pentecost, will be forgotten. We forget our kids. We forget where we lay things down. We lose somebody in a crowd. We, we're trying to you know, we're going through Hershey Park, and we're trying to keep track of the kids. So they get somewhere and all of a sudden, okay, where were they? Jesus won't lose or forget a single one of us who are born again. What an amazing situation. It's going to be a great reunion. Think about when this event happens, it says then we which are alive to remain will be caught up together with them. That is with those who have died before us. Our friends. Our family who have perished, who have died over the last few years as we think about the many who we knew whether it be relatives by blood or relatives by spirit. We're going to be caught up together with them. There's going to be this reunion. There's going to be this refellowship. I haven't seen my parents for a couple of years. First thing we walked into the door of the house was a reunion. A time of saying hello, how are you? What are Giving hugs and saying we love you, we missed you type thing. And then after a few days, run out the door. Okay. But those, reun- can you imagine the reunion you will have with friends that are with Christ? It's a great event in the fact that it's going to result with you and me going to heaven. I don't know about you, but I wouldn't mind leaving things here and going to heaven. I don't think it would be so bad to be taken out of the greatest country of the world and go to the greatest place in all eternity. I think it's a good exchange. That all of a sudden we're going to be individuals that we will be with the Lord. That we're going to see him face to face, hand in hand to meet the Lord Jesus Christ. It's an amazing event because it'll never end. We're never going to have to deal with death again. We're never going to have to deal with, with separation again. We are going to be with the Lord forever. We're going to be with the family members and friends and the loved ones and the saints forever and ever without end. No more goodbyes. No more farewells. What an amazing event. What an amazing time. What an amazing hope. Then he says this. He says it's going to happen before the worst time ever to happen on earth. We are not appointed to wrath but we are going to be raptured before that event. Here, here's what I mean by this. There's an individual that they interviewed this week in Houston. I don't know if you saw this part of the interview. This man was saying, I finally got to my house and got a few, got a, I think he's got his pets that were in the attic or something like that. And he got them out and he said, they asked him, what does your neighborhood look like? And he used this term that caught my attention. Oh, excuse me, I wanted to get... I'll get to it later in the picture. But he uses a term, he says, it's an apocalyptic event. What does he mean by that? He means that that event that's happening in Houston is like the world is coming to an end. Well, what he's talking about when he says here in this passage that, that the Lord is coming back, he's talking about we are going to see an apocalyptic world where everything is so terrible, everything is so bad, everything is out of control. We don't face that. As bad as it is in Houston, the world's going to get worse and we're not going to be there. We're not going to see that time. In fact, this event is an any moment event. It is one where Paul writes and says, we which are alive, he fully expected this. He fully expected he would be taken away as well as Silas and Timothy who were with him. It's an event where we know that by the fact that the loved one's spirits are with him, they will come with him and meet their bodies and be with the Lord, that they are with Jesus now. They are asleep in Christ. What a hopeful event. What a positive event that gives us all this different help, this different hope that he says with these words, speaking about this coming event you encourage one another. Let me, let me bring it together this way. We are to remind each other of God's promises. That's what this text is telling me. This text is telling me that we are to remind each other that what happens here on this earth, no matter how bad it is, It's temporary. We are to remind each other that whatever losses we have, including the biggest losses we could have, which would be a loss of a loved one, it is not permanent. It is only a temporary separation. We were up at Hershey several weeks ago. We were there with the grandkids, and we were trying to wrap up and get out, and as we were walking out of the park, all of a sudden, Preston remembered, oh no, I don't have my favorite sippy cup. They, they're a dime a dozen, a little bit more than that. But you got you know, besides the 300 he already has, this was his favorite. Now, do your kids do this? They can have dozens of the same thing, but it has to be their favorite blanket, or binky, or shoes, or toy. So it's like, well, we can't leave the park without, without my sippy. How are we going to find a sippy cup in Hershey Park? Okay. You know, and if we find it, they're going to charge us for it. Okay. Even, <laughs> And then Deb remembers, she says, I saw you drink, take a drink, and put it down at one of the arcade games you played. At such and such a game, you must not have picked it up when you walked away. Well, this is a couple hours later. What's the chances of the sippy cup still being at that arcade game? So, we got to go and find the sippy cup. Please, 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 let's go get sippy cup. I cannot live without my sippy cup. And so, being the independent parents that they are, you know, they went back. We're going to find the sippy cup. On the way, Preston had an amazing comment to his father. He's walking. He says, Dad, I'm really sad. I might have lost my sippy cup. Yeah, okay, that might happen. Is it okay if I cry if it's not there? Okay. (laughs) (laughs) The answer was a good answer. The answer is, it's okay to cry, but you need to maintain self-control. You can't sin by having and he lost his self-control. And so, you know, do you ever feel that way? You lose a loved one, can you cry? The answer is yes. As long as you don't lose self-control. So they get there, and should I tell him or shouldn't I tell him? What happened? (laughs) They found the sippy cup. He was all delighted. Just like you're going to be delighted when you reunite with your loved one. When you see them again and realize this wasn't the loss for good. This was only a temporary thing. This is a hope and the help that we have that Jesus Christ is going to reunite us with those individuals. There's the hope that we're going to be changed. We're going to go to heaven. There's the hope that we are going to have a home in heaven that's far better than any home that we have. There's the hope and the help that we have a master, a Lord, a God that we serve who's alive, who's not dead. With these words, encourage each other in the face of loss, in the face of difficulties. Remind each other of this one promise. He's coming back for us before it gets really bad and we're going to be reunited with everyone. God, be thanked and be praised that we have that hope. Now, you might be sitting here this morning and you don't have that confidence. If he were to come back this day, you don't know if you'd be caught away or be left behind. The only way to know for sure is to ask Christ to be your Savior, to repent of your sins, ask Jesus to forgive you of them all and to become your one and only Savior and to rescue you in that time when He returns. You need to be, as Jesus said, born again. If you don't know how, in a few moments when we wrap this up, we're going to be singing a song. I'll have the staff members go over there, stand by that door. You can get up while we sing the song. Go over there, and they will take you aside privately and show you from the Word of God how to know for sure. What prayer to pray, to be absolutely confident that when he comes back in the clouds, you will be taken away. And you say to yourself, well, I'll wait until I see it happening. In a moment... In a twinkling of an eye, it'll happen, and we won't have an opportunity to second guess or get a second chance. It'll be done and over with. And you know what? Then there's going to be this sign that says, authorized personnel only. You can't get in. You need to ask Christ to be your Savior. Call upon Him. Now, could you get born again later on? Mm. Chances are slim, pressure's much greater see there 's the promise of that hope, that precious promise, but there 's something else in this text. He has a second comfort one another it 's down in chapter five it 's down in verse eleven. He says, "Wherefore? Well, what came before to verse eleven? He says, "Give another comfort. That second comfort that he says is talking about our present position. I pray you thought that was the rapture didn 't you that last <laughs> Some of you jumped. you were going either one or two things i 'm going." Or, oh no, one of the two. (laughs) The present position is in this text. In this text, let me show you real quickly. In verses chapter 1 through 11. In this text where he talks a little bit further. But of the times and of the seasons, brethren, you have no need that I write unto you. He goes on, he says, For you yourselves know perfectly that the day of the Lord is coming as a thief in the night. For when they shall say, peace, safety, then will come sudden destruction upon them as travail upon a woman with child, and they cannot escape. But you, brethren, are not in darkness, that that day should overtake you as a thief. You are all the children of light, the children of the day. We are not of the the night, nor of the darkness. Therefore, let us not sleep as others do others. Let us watch be sober, for they that sleep, sleep in the night. They that be drunken are drunken in the night. But let us who are of the day be sober, putting on the breastplate of faith and love for an helmet and, uh, for for and the hope of salvation. For God has not appointed us to the wrath, but to obtain salvation by our Lord Jesus Christ." What's he talking about here? He's talking about that day of the Lord. Now usually this day of the Lord is not in this reference and the way he's using it here. He's using like the time period, not a 24 hour period. But the day of the Lord is referring to that future time, which frankly is right after the rapture where evil will run amok. Where all of a sudden it'll be that apocalyptic thing that I told you about that fella describing what Harvey, he has no idea this is going to get much worse than what Harvey was. That future is coming. The worst time, Jesus says, that the human, human history has ever seen, it's going to come. But it's a period of time that we who are believers do not have to live in. Why is that? Two reasons in this text. One is because of the hope we have in Christ, that we are going to be raptured before that we are not appointed to wrath. And there's another reason that he talks about here. He says because we are not just not appointed to wrath, but we are children of light. We are born again. We have a different position. We have a different relationship with God. And then he talks about that relationship. That's what I want to refer to here, where he talks and says, you brethren are not in darkness, but you are all, that is all who are born again, those at Thessalonica who are part of that church, you are all the children of light and you're of the day. What's he mean by all that? Well, what he's talking about is this. We enjoy a different position than many people in this world. That's because we came to faith in Jesus Christ. For me, it was when I was 16. For some of you, it was years ago. For some of you, last week came to faith in Jesus Christ, where you came and you repented, you did what we had just mentioned, you went, some of you went out that door and talked to somebody or you prayed after the service or you were a youngster and you prayed with your mom and dad and you asked Jesus to be your Savior. You came from darkness into the light. You were like that man in John chapter 9 that says once I was blind but now I see, he's talking about the physical miracle Jesus did, and it's picturesque of a spiritual miracle that we are in blindness. We are, we are not seeing, understanding the word. We are not clearly knowing where we're going in the future. We're walking in the dark. And all of a sudden, when we come to Christ in faith, we have... A light, in it, a light that that comes on within us. We now know the future. We now understand what's going on. We now have an idea where we're going. And all and it affects us in so many ways, but you need to come by faith. With that With that, coming to Christ and becoming children of light, we are different from the world around us. The world is darkness. And he says you need to shine as lights in this darkness. And Jesus makes it very clear that the world around us and we who are born again are different. A good different. Not the weird, not the the silly, not the odd, not the scary different, but we're different from the world around us. Things have changed. If any man be in Christ, he is a what? a new creation, old things have and all things keep on becoming new. Okay, there's a change from darkness to light. With that in mind, the idea is we don't have fear anymore. We have confidence. We don't have bondage. We're not controlled by darkness anymore. But rather, we have this freedom in Christ that we can overcome things. We don't anymore have an ignorance of what's going on, of what's happening, and what's priority in this life. What's the most important thing? You know that when young people go off to college, one of those classes that they talk about, and they talk about philosophy of of life. Well, the philosophy of life is, who am I? Where did I come from? What is my purpose? You who are born again, you know your purpose. We have the enlightenment of the Spirit that says we are here for one purpose and one purpose only, to glorify God to be conformed to the image of Christ, which makes a huge difference in our lives. If you don't have that awareness, you think, well, wait a minute, what is my purpose? Is my purpose to make myself happy? Is my purpose to get things? Boy, that can be a real dark and sad story, can it not? Because to make yourself happy, it fleeds. it's fleeting. It doesn't stay. To get things, the things that you get, they they vanish so quickly. They, they All of a sudden they get, you know, rust on them or they lose their value through the crash of a market. But if we're saying our goal, our purpose, our awareness is to serve Jesus Christ, to honor him, to glorify him, boy that makes a difference in everything we do. We have an advantage by the position we have. We have a relationship with Christ which gives us, an, uh, uh, makes us different from the world around us which makes us to have a greater knowledge of what's going on. Now verse 1 says we don't know everything. And I'm not saying we do. Verse 1 says we don't even know when, when all this is taking place, when he's coming back. That's okay. But this much we know. We know that the world around us says peace and safety. Verse 3, peace and safety. They run here, they run there looking for peace and safety. If you elect the Democrats to Congress, we will have peace and safety. The other side, if you elect the Republicans, you'll have peace and safety. If we elect Donald Trump president, everything will be okay again. Right? Isn't that what the world says all the way around us? If If we get rid of Korea then there'll be peace and safety in the world. And so the resolution is, if we give education and we feed everybody and there's no more hunger, all the problems will go away. You and I know better than that. We know that by the word of God, people's hearts are inherently evil, including ours. If there isn't some nut in Korea, there's going to be a nut somewhere else. We know that you can feed everybody, but even if you feed everybody, there's still going to be hunger tomorrow. Now, I'm not trying to be dismal and saying there's no hope. There is hope and help in the right source. It is not the President of the United States. It is not Congress. We all know that. Because as a born-again believer, where is peace and safety found? Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ and in his word that we go to the word of God and no matter what happens in this world we are safe in Christ. No matter what falls apart in this world we have a hope and a help in Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is the way, the truth and the life. He is the answer. It is not politics. It is not education. It is not government. It is not your job. It is your master and Lord Jesus Christ. So we have an awareness. We have an enlightenment that many people don't have. We have a position that according to this text allows us to live better in this world of darkness. In fact what he does in this text is interesting. He says as children of light here's what I want you to do. He describes us as be- children of light, and he says, let us not sleep let us, as the others do, but let us watch and be sober. So he's talking to us who have Christ within us, who have an awareness, a spiritual enlightenment. He says, don't be indifferent. Don't be passive. Don't be apathetic and say, okay, the world is, you know, everything's going to get worse, so we just, nothing we can do. Don't do that. Don't do that. Even though we know that there's things that are going to get worse and worse in times, we are not to sleep, we are not to give up, we are not to be passive. We are to watch. We are to be, take account of what's going on and do what we can as instruments of light. To make a difference in the world where we can, where we work, where we live in our neighborhoods. We are to make a difference. And how do we do that? He gives us two commands here that follow that up. Be sober. He's not saying don't drink. He's not saying don't do drugs. He is saying be self-controlled. That's the word. In fact, he repeats it twice in the text. Look at it. He says it twice. He says, be sober, be sober. Be self-controlled. Do not be overwhelmed by circumstances. Do not be controlled by events. Do not let things control you, but you respond and do right no matter what is going on around you. No matter who is in the White House, no matter what the job situation, no matter how they treat you at school, no matter if there's storms or there's sunshine, no matter what, you be sober. You be self-controlled. Whether you lose your sip of your cup or not, you need to be sober. You need to be self-controlled. You need to make sure you're controlled by the Spirit of God not by the surroundings that you live in. And then he says I want you to do something else. I want you to be soldier-like. He talks in verse 8 after he says again, let us who are the day be sober second time put on the breastplate of faith and love and the helmet the hope of salvation. What he's talking about and referring is that same thing he wrote about in Ephesians chapter six. He's referring to some of that, that armor of God. What he is implying here is really important that we're going to be under spiritual attack. You put on spiritual armor. These are defensive weapons. You need to resist the evil around you. You need to protect your heart. You need to protect your head. You want to, you don't want to become passive and then all of a sudden just go with the flow of the evil. Be caught up in the tide of the evil and just give way and say, well, everybody else is doing it. No, you protect yourself. In fact, what you do is you protect your thinking. Do not be overwhelmed. Do not be overcome by the philosophy of darkness that says do whatever you want to do and you hear it so much you just say oh well everybody else is doing their own thing you don't want to be caught up with the the dark thought that says number 1 it's all about me protecting me my rights don't want to do that and get caught up in that philosophy of just oh, it's all about you you don't want to get caught up in the philosophy that says do unto others as they do unto you you know get even get revenge you don't want that philosophy you don't want the philosophy that says you are your own boss. Your body is your own. You can do whatever you want because you are independent and you are your own God. You don't want to get caught up in that darkness. He says protect your mind, protect your heart and it's flooded that, that whole philosophy that I've just mentioned or illustrated. It is throughout our society, our TV, our entertainment, our school system and you and know I need to stop and say no, 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 that can't be right. I'm here to glorify God. I'm here to serve Him and serve others. I am not supposed to retaliate. I am supposed to show love and forgiveness when I get beaten down. I am not about seeing how much I can get, but more importantly, how much I can give. I'm supposed to be an individual who's making a difference for good, not for, for good of the community, not for me and myself. It's not about making a name for me. It's making a name for Jesus Christ. He says don't get caught up in it. Defend yourself. Be careful that you protect your heart and your mind because you're children of light. As children of light you got to be different. As children of light you live this way and I put you in a position you can do it. I've given you the armor. You can live different. You can make a difference in your school. You don't have to do the same stuff. You don't have to say the same stories. You don't have to get in doing something that is, that is vulgar and, and repulsive. You don't have to. You don't have to find fun in the drinks and, and the drugs and the, and the wild parties. You don't need that. You're different. You're my children of light, he says. Live different live pure with enlightenment that says this is what life is not about it's serving the Lord show a difference then he goes on and says because of the position we have in Christ not only are we different and made to be different not only do we have more awareness not only do we have the ability to live different but he says we have the opportunity to get something in the future rewards for being light look what he does in verse let me see if I can catch and get back to the right passage here He says at the end of verse 9, to obtain salvation by our Lord Jesus Christ. What in the world is he talking about? To obtain salvation, to win or to gain is literally the word. Does he mean that I need to live a certain way, I need to go to church, I need to to live the Bible, I need to clean up speech, I need to honor him so that I can earn my way to heaven. Well that's totally contrary to the rest of Scripture. It can't be that. But if I look at the Bible and understand that times when he talks about salvation, he is talking about different phases, different periods of my salvation experience. One is this, I get born again. I become a child of God. There is one salvation aspect that's talking about I grow, I mature. We call it sanctification. But he uses the term salvation to describe this work. Do you remember he says, work out your own Yeah, it's bring it out, live it out. I've been born again, but now I need to live like I'm born again. And then when I get into heaven, I'm changed physically, the sin nature. This is salvation as well. Glorification. So in this text where he says, obtain your salvation, which phase is he talking about? Can't be the first phase. We don't work, we don't defend ourselves so we can, okay, I do good enough, I do good enough, I do good enough, and he'll save me. No, no, you come by faith. But I need to do, I need to defend, I need to live out so that my life is changed, but ultimately I get the rewards that he would give me if I live right, that he wants to give me. In that sense that what he's talking about is this idea of continue to serve him, continue to grow in him, so that we would enjoy a fullness of hearing this, well done, what? Thou good and faithful servant. As children of light we have that opportunity, we have that hope of not only being in heaven, but we can be rewarded, we can be blessed, we can be commended, we can can be approved by our master. If we live the life that He enables us to live, that He calls us to live, children of light, purity, holiness, awareness. And He says, do this. As you see this time coming, you're not going to have to live in that time period. But look around you. Do you see the world getting worse and worse? Yes or no? Do you see more problems taking place? Do, you, do any of you say, oh my word, what the young people have to put up, we didn't have to put up with? It's a far different society. It's more dangerous. One of my grandchildren, this past week we were with one of the grandkids, disobeyed mommy. Mommy says you need to have a time out. Mommy picked the child up and started heading toward the bedroom. She picked the, baby, the child was sitting next to me. When she picked the child up and headed, the child look at me and says, help! Help! Danger! Danger! This is dangerous! Help! Help! I laughed so hard, I totally disrupted my daughter's discipline in that whole case. <laughs> Isn't it true that the world really is in danger, danger, help, help? The world around us It's getting worse and worse, and it's not funny. This danger is real. And so you and I who have that truth, especially as we see closing in on what looks like that time period, we need be sober. Don't become passive. Watch. Don't give up. Watch. Be sober. Be soldier-like. Live as children of light. You know, some of you do this. You go to Hershey Park. You go to the amusement park. You keep an eye on your clock. Your watch is saying... I told you that thing makes no difference. Wow. You look at the clock and you say, hey, it's almost time to get done here. Now now that we've got a half hour left, we might as well do nothing. I don't think so. I think the majority of especially our wiser young people, what will they try to do in that last half hour? Get as much as they can squeezed in. Or if you've been waiting all day to win one of those huge stuffed animals, that you didn't want to haul with you all day, now's your moment. Well, Jesus is saying, hey, look around you. Children of light, look around you. As people are saying, peace and safety, you know better. As children of light, you know better. You need to obtain that reward. Take advantage of the moments you have left and serve. Serve, serve. And after he wraps that up, he says, hey, listen, comfort one another with these words. Some are getting tired running the race. Some are ready to quit. We need to speak with them and remind them of the position we have in Christ. That that position we have in Christ gives us a better awareness. This position we have in Christ means we don't have to put up with the the pain and the agony of this world. We can live different. We can do better. That this position in Christ is where real peace and safety is. It's found in Christ. And if we're faithful to him and we don't quit, there's a reward position in Christ, but then also the promise. The promise that says to you and I, this world is not our home. The promise that says to you and I that what we need to do is focus and know that the hope we have, it's never ending. That you and I, no matter what happens in our world and how bad it gets, one day it's going to be set right. That this hope that we have that if we are faithful to Christ, we're gonna get rewarded, we're gonna enjoy it, and no matter what happens in this life, no matter what difficulties, it's only a moment. And one day we're gonna see Jesus Christ. And that day that we see Jesus Christ, when we encounter him, it's gonna day that we're gonna be able to say, you know what? It was worth it all. It was worth it all. There's a song that's written about this, it's not in your hymn books. But we'll put the words here, and for those of you who know it, we're going to sing this morning, and as we close, and sing about seeing Christ. If you want to talk to somebody about knowing you're going to heaven, our our men and ladies, staff members, are going right there. They'll take you aside and talk in private. But the rest of you, join me as we reflect, as we think, as we pause, talking about, thinking about Jesus coming again.